Welcome to Amplify, a podcast that gives marginalized communities and diverse people a platform to share their story and reclaim their narrative. There are things that made me feel othered or there are things that in some way made me feel I was not a part of that group or an in-group and I had to prove myself. Did you know that racism was actually deemed a public health crisis in Evansville this past June? I mean, I didn't really know about the racism that really goes on within the political system or within housing in Evansville. I can only speak on my personal experiences with racism within the community. I can distinctly remember a time when I worked in the hospital and I went to get a patient's blood sugar. And at night, and they were slurring speech of hate towards me because of the way that I presented myself. I'm personally a Muslim and I wear the hijab, and they were slurring a lot of speech under their breath. And I was genuinely fearful if they would do something to me because of the way that I look. And within Evansville, you can see that racism is apparent within our jail system. Around 34% of the people within our jail system are black. Or we look at our political system, for example, and the most of the people that have held high positions within office have been Klansmen more than black men. And no black man has ever held or black woman has ever held the highest position within our government system, which is the mayor. And the only representation we see of that community is within our city council with them only holding two positions. And so I'm actually here talking to some of the founding members of a new organization in the community called CARE which stands for Coalition Against Racism in Evansville, to hear more about their experiences with racism or how they're supporting the fight against racism with their peers and other communities. And what are they doing within their organization to combat the instilled racism within Evansville? Welcome back to Amplify. Today we're here with the group that started CARE. Stop. I'm just kidding. But before you enjoy the episode, we please ask to support this podcast. So share it with your friends and family and let us know what you think by leaving us a review and really what you want to hear more on the podcast. Really, our message is to amplify the voices of marginalized communities and diverse people. And just remember, it is most impactful when diverse people share their own narrative. Hey guys, how are you doing today? Doing great, Summer. Happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you guys. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourselves? Uh, yeah, my uh, my name is E.U. Mogus, and I have lived in Evansville since I was, oh gosh, I think four or five. Uh, so I'm technically a Floridian, but I'm a Hoosier at heart. But I've grown up in Evansville and went to IU, go Hoosiers. And now I'm, I'm working with a ministry up in West Lafayette. Yeah, my name's uh, Emily Miles, and I've lived in Evansville my whole life. I was born there. I guess I've been in Bloomington for the past five years or so, though. I went to IU, and now I work for the university, but care deeply about Evansville. That's still where all my family is and many of my friends. So yeah, I, I will always have that that deep love for Evansville and, and wish to uh, help it be a more inclusive place. Hey, I'm Abby. I'm Abby Mishra. I also grew up in Evansville like 
Emily and EU ever since I was about three or four years old. Unlike both of them, I went to Purdue for undergrad, so <laughs> boiler up. And then I actually came back to Evansville where I'm in my second year of med school on the IUSM campus in downtown Evansville. Oh, awesome. So we're all local Evansvillians. I grew up in Evansville and I was born and raised here too. So it's nice to talk to some fellow people that just get what Indiana is. Most of the people I talk to are not from Indiana and they're like, oh, I didn't know there was people like you in Indiana, like cornfields and all of that. (laughs) So it's nice to get people on the podcast who get me. So can you share at least one example of what you consider a positive or negative representation of minorities or people of diverse backgrounds? And And have you ever personally been affected by it, either by how it made you feel or maybe how people reacted to it? If not, why? About positive representation uh, in Evansville, I mean, I think of there are a lot of different individuals that I think of. I mean, there's some such as like Trey Burton and our our own city, city council, as well as like several churches that I have either attended at some point, or just know people that are in those communities, such as Reverend Roscoe, who like, I see them and I see them as, I mean, pillars of our community, people that show just like the full scope and sort of beauty of what it means to be in Evansville, an Evansvillian, and also to be black in Evansville. So I think of some people like that of like, positive representation in our own community. And as far as negative experiences, well, some of mine have have simply been ones that are probably, you probably classify them as like microaggressions in the sense that like, there are things that made me feel othered or there are things that in some way made me feel I was not a part of that group or an in-group and I had to prove myself. Sort of that very classic story of like black or a black man or black woman a minority who felt like they had to prove themselves and it would be perfect in a new group to be accepted by that group does anybody else have like any examples that they would like to give i think to further elaborate and add to eu's point there are um a good number of positive representations of minorities in Evansville. I would say there's a lot of religious and cultural organizations that seem to do a good job of unifying people of those particular community communities. I think that we as a city are not fully integrated with all those communities. I think they kind of remain separate and we're not fully comfortable with each other. That's something that I would like to see changed in the future. As for what you was saying about microaggressions versus blatant remarks made, perhaps, I think in elementary school, middle school around that time is when I've witnessed and experienced some of the most negative remarks made. I, like I know growing up, I had some, you know, bullies in school who would say things to me because I'm Indian, I'm Asian, I have brown skin, and that's very different than the majority of people in Evansville, particularly like I'm from the west side of Evansville, and it's a very kind of like Germantown area. There's a lot of white people. So it's uncommon for people to be around people who are not white. And that was, I guess, hard for me growing up. And I know that other students of color also experience the same kind of discrimination in school. And when you're younger, you don't know. So on the positive side, I think a really excellent example of of representation in Evansville comes from the Kepasa Midwest podcast, which which was sort of the idea of Paula Marisan at WNIN. And Maria Thomas, who's also at WNIN, has worked really closely 
with her on that. And it's a podcast about Latino life in the Midwest, specifically what they call bilennials, so bilingual millennials. It's an incredible show that tells stories and is bilingual, um, Spanish and English, and occasionally maybe there might be another language in there. It's super cool. So yeah, that's that's an example of a really excellent, I think, representation in the area. And then in terms of more, you know, negative things. I'm white, so nobody has ever, I guess, enacted any sort of racial or ethnic aggression toward me. But I know that it's a, there's an interesting dynamic even within my own family. You know, the things that I was sort of taught to do, taught to say, taught to think, um, differed widely. You know, I might have, you know, one grandparent saying, you know, you need to be exclusive, you know, you basically teaching me sort of racist things while the other grandparent, you know, across the living room is teaching me to do the opposite. So it's interesting where how you see this dynamic play out in Evansville where people living right next to each other will have these wildly different sorts of perspectives. I find that incredibly hard to be surrounded by people with different viewpoints all around you. And I could definitely agree with what Abby said about growing up. Like I personally didn't wear the headscarf growing up, but just my last name game gave off that I was a little bit different. And I even remember like just some things that happened to me like in middle school where somebody thought I was like Egyptian. So they would do like Egyptian dances and do all these sorts of things. And it like it hurt my feelings at the time. So I think as kids, we don't really know how to deal with somebody coming up and being blatantly negative. So what kinds of misunderstandings or misrepresentations have you seen or been affected by as a result of other people's exposures to these representations? It's interesting because it's some it's both sometimes people having misgivings or even just prejudices against minorities and it's also simultaneously sometimes people just ignoring that minorities exist in the same spaces. So what I mean by that second one is also that like, I mean, black people and black culture and the black community oftentimes don't even have a seat at the table whenever, whenever decisions are being made. And so a decision will be made that to everybody that's there seems very reasonable, but it at no point might take into consideration the fact that the overwhelming majority of the black population lives in Southern Indiana or Southern Evansville, excuse me. Whenever you put something, whenever you don't have people of that community in the, in a conversation or those voices aren't being heard, then it's easy for a community to just kind of keep moving thinking that it has agreement with everyone, but really just ignoring the voices of Black population and Black citizens in, in their town. So it's funny because I, I, I think it's like, in as much as, as, much as a, the, the need is for people to sit with their own stereotypes and subconscious you know, racial misgivings, and it, it's also equally necessary for people to recognize who isn't at the table and to recognize who isn't at their table and to have a heart to say like well this is a community that is meant to be for everyone i mean e is for everyone is a push that evansville has had for probably 10 15 years and so like taking to heart what that really means i think also means taking to heart the recognizing who isn't who hasn't been involved in those conversations and giving them equal voice and equal authority in political or business or social decisions. Right. That's such an important point, EU. And I think like to sort of extend your metaphor, you know, when you look at the around the table and you notice that 
you know, there's somebody who's not there, it's not enough to just pull up a chair. You have to say, okay, where are they? What, you know, what are the barriers to access to getting to this table? And you have to go down to sort of the root of that injustice. And and that's sort of, you know, the difference between talking about like equality and equity and making sure that you really get to that foundational level of, you know, the barriers in place for, for some people getting access to the conversation. I find that really interesting that you guys mentioned having like a seat at the table. I noticed that with a lot of not a lot of organizations, but some organizations in town. When I first approached somebody in Evansville about my nonprofit, they were pretty skeptical about it. And they mentioned other organizations who were doing the same thing. But I noticed and I like that you guys said, I think the only people that can truly tell their stories are the people that are affected by it. Some of the organizations I've seen are the people that are running it are not the people that are experiencing it. So you guys mentioned some personal effects or what you've seen of representations or misunderstandings if you I know you guys have been affected but if you haven't if there's other instances where you weren't personally affected have you ever witnessed stuff when you whether you were out in a classroom and how did you support your peers through this experience that question of like having hearts for justice even for people when it's not even us who's experiencing it but other people as well and I, I have some some experiences from whenever I was in college from people who had experiences with the local police in such a way that was really abusive and they felt overwhelmed by overwhelmed by that experience and so for me at that time it was coming alongside them was not only just not only arguing against sort of the this agency or body that that did that but was also giving them the freedom of space to just speak and be angry and to support them in the midst of that of those of that anger i had a friend who really unfortunately was sexually assaulted and supporting her through that was something of having a heart that really genuinely recognized that like to me it was a, it was a process of me having to sit and recognize like people have inherent dignity and when people have inherent dignity then anything that demeans them anything that devalues them anything that that robs that from them is inhumane to to a point that it it should anger us and it should anger me and i think that like i'm so thankful that my friend had the the willingness to be vulnerable with me and share that with me so that I could support her and and love her through that and i think that like something that i take away from that experience is that like recognizing having a heart for justice really does require at least as i've come to understand it really does require recognizing like or really reaffirming the value of people's inherent dignity and taking to task the forces or the actions or the or the people that undo that whether intentionally or, or unintentionally that's that's definitely an amazing story i didn't I think I totally agree that when we're thinking of justice, we're thinking of dignity because that's all that people have. And when you rip that away from someone, it's hard to build that back up for them to know that everybody on the table matters and their voices should be heard and justice should be served for all people. How is Evansville trying to deconstruct this narrative of diverse people? I know you guys mentioned a lot of different organizations that you guys either support or 
podcasts, the other podcasts that you guys listen to, do you feel well represented by these organizations? I think it's a work in progress. I think we're probably taking the appropriate steps to introduce better representation of different cultures, different backgrounds. Emily's example of the podcast was a great one. I think that there's still work to be done. As I mentioned, I think there's an integration of community that we don't have yet where we are able to feel comfortable with the different communities that currently exist within Evansville. So I think when we can maybe identify that lack of unity and work to amend it, I think we'll be headed in a better direction. Yeah. And to sort of follow along that topic of the the podcast, Cape Awesome Midwest, it's amazing. And WNIN really does do a lot of like amazing work trying to accurately and, and positively like represent groups that are often that have been marginalized and misunderstood in a lot of ways in the Evansville community. But if you look at any of the media organizations in Evansville, look at leadership, like it tends to be white. So, so editors tend to be white. And so it's, while there, there are definitely wins, like Abby was saying, there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think it's just a matter of everybody keep keeping their brains on and and keeping, keeping at it. I think that in our experience, the past couple of weeks, we or the past couple of months, excuse me, we've increasingly realized like the groundswell of support and the grassroots movements that have been that have already been in Evansville and that have been growing. Like Bridge is an organization in Evansville that has been around since twenty sixteen, building a foundation and hashtag and how are the children is another one that specifically focuses on education and policy. I already mentioned Alex Burton and, and the leadership that he's shown. I do think it's I think it's important to note that like we're excited to be engaging much more intentionally and much more actively in this question of diversity and racial justice in Evansville. But clearly, we're standing on the shoulders of others who have built foundations not only within the past four or five years, but the Black community in Evansville has been doing this since. There has been a black community in Evansville for generations. And I think it's valuable and it's important to point out that there's been people who've dedicated their entire lives to this to make Evansville what it is today. And that, you know, we're excited to sort of continue to be a part of, of a movement that takes the mantle and, and keeps moving forward. And I definitely c- commend you for even like thinking back to of what the work that people before us even did and recognizing that the foundation has been laid and that we're just building on it. So I know you guys throughout the podcast have been mentioning the organization CARE. Can you tell us a little bit about CARE? Why did you guys start it? And where do you guys see this organization going? So to tell a little bit of a story, there were five of us at one of the protests in early June in Evansville. And after word, we were all together. And I think it was EU who said, hey, what if we used our signature school skills and wrote a letter to the city, you know, basically saying, you know, here's what's wrong. Here's what should be better. EU, correct me if if this was different. But and then it sort of spiraled from there. Yeah. So we wanted to As we thought more about the idea, we thought, okay, we can include more people on this project. We can get a group of like-minded individuals who are passionate about identifying and putting an end to systemic racism in our own community. And that's what we set out to do. And there was actually an earlier march that day that I think Abby actually helped organize White Coats for Black Lives. And I think the thing that struck me about that, it was an industry, the medical field, recognizing its own culpability in systemic racism and expecting more of itself. 
And later at the, the second protest that we were all at together, it's sort of, I don't know, I, I think that like in our conversation, we were all sort of recognizing like there needs to be a recognition that systemic racism is everywhere. And it's not just in Minneapolis uh, with George Floyd or in Louisville with Breonna Taylor. And it's not just in policing, but it's in every field. And that like, and I think recognize and rem- remembering what White Coats for Black Lives was doing and recognizing its own culpability, I was thinking, or we were all sort of thinking, wouldn't it be really great if different industries and different sectors and different fields of Evansville society, whether it be in housing, whether it be in civic engagement, whether it be in healthcare, policing, the arts, education, if all of these different fields simultaneously had a conversation that was like, we recognize our own culpability in continuing this oppression of systemic racism. And and so we don't just have to look at, we don't have to just look at policing because there was recently a policing event. We don't just have to look at education when there's suddenly an educational event that points out the systemic racism, but we can be proactive in recognizing our own field's culpability and not be complicit in it. So I know you guys mentioned the objective of the organization. I just want to know exactly, can you tell us a little bit more about what your objective or goal is through the organization? Like what efforts have you currently been taking and what exactly? are you going to be doing with the surveys that you were distributing online? Yeah, so our first sort of step was researching background, looking at, okay, in the field of housing, in the field of policing, you know, what are the big issues? And then we constructed questions uh, for this survey that you mentioned to ask people in Evansville. And so we distributed that, we distributed that on social media. And our goal there is to not only gather, you know, some actual data, but to find people who have stories that they want to tell. And so our very specific goal is to amplify the stories and experiences and perspectives of Evansville's Black residents and make sure that they get a platform and that can reach people at the city level, the leaders of, you know, local healthcare, the leaders of local media, so that they can't say that they don't know what's going on. What do you see the organization going from here? Once you accumulate these results, what do you want to do with them? We want to identify members of the community who have experienced some form of racism within some of the areas that we're researching and amplify those voices. Our project, I would say, is more to be a platform for the Black voices in Evansville. So yes, want to identify racist experiences through potentially some stats, but more so to give Black voices a platform, a foundation to make their experiences heard. Summer, you mentioned this earlier about how you're, in your own experience, you saw organizations that were led by people who were not of that community and that only people of a community can really tell the story of that community. And I think that's very much in line with our mindset where we're like, we could get and organize a lot of stats and a lot of research and make a research paper. And I think that there's, that is like essential and important and it's good work. But I guess we just sort of felt compelled, like let's put a microphone in front of people in this community to talk about this community so that people from the Black community can tell their experience as a member of the Black community, rather than sort of using some roundabout approach to figure out what the reality is in the Black community. I was just going to say that, Summer, you mentioned how sometimes cultural or just ethnic organizations will have people leading them without any representation of that cause. So that's what we don't want this project to be. We Mm -hmm. don't want it to be just simply put out by people who don't 
fully represent the community that we're trying to amplify. Yeah. And I, I, I love that because I think our missions definitely align very well with you talking about amplifying voices and representation. So thank you so much, guys, again, for being on the podcast. Is there any way that people can locate care or be involved in the initiatives that you guys are doing in Evansville? You can find us on social media uh, on Twitter. It's at Care Project EVV. And on Facebook, it's the same at. You can look up Coalition Against Racism in Evansville. You can connect with us, send us messages, all that. In Evansville, Black people and other people of color, they really still don't continue to have representation, and they're not really consulted on decisions that really concern their community. But you really have seen people in Evansville take matters into their own hands in order to support their own communities. If everybody's from Evansville, you probably know somebody named Courtney Johnson. He launched his own nonprofit in 2012 called Young and Established. And really his main objective with his organization is to really motivate youth and address their growing problems just growing up. And he actually just recently, within the last month, launched his new community center. And one of his main beneficiaries, one of the main communities he's actually benefiting are Black children. And we want to keep the momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement going. And so I'm going to provide some tangible things that you can do in order to support it. One thing that you could physically do is show solidarity and support at local protests and rallies. Make sure, though, when you do go, that you are social distancing and that you are wearing your masks. And if that's something you're very fearful of, I've seen online rallies organized as well. Other tangible things that you can do online if you prefer to stay within your homes is sign petitions, donate money or resources if you have the funds, show solidarity and support even on social media by reposting and educating yourself. There's so many good accounts to follow that keep you up to date with news and other resources. I would really suggest Sean King and Color of Change. Another thing that you can do is show support to small locally owned black businesses You could reach out to people that you know and just to make sure that they're doing okay. Another thing I would do is just make sure to educate yourself. There are so many books, movies, resources. I would suggest White Privilege by D'Angelo. I would also suggest a lot of movies such as The 13th, which is a documentary on Netflix. And you can also just stir up conversation within your family and friends and communities. And just to talk about this and to kind of look within deep yourself, to look at your racial prejudices and your microaggressions and to dive deep and see what you can do better.